0: But let's get into Vision Sunday, Vision Sunday. Uh, You might not recognize it or you might not celebrate this in the way that I do. I'm I'm pretty invested in this kind of stuff. But this is actually the five-year anniversary of our mission statement here at Hinsdale Covenant Church. Uh, That's pretty exciting. Five years ago, we gathered in the gymnasium and we unveiled uh, a new mission statement that we had been working on for almost 18 months. Um, and uh, relaunch, kind of branding, and all that kind of stuff. Some of you might remember being there for that. I have the mission statement here on a slide, just for our uh, to jog our memory. For some of you who have been here for a while, this will be pretty normal for you to hear this, or maybe some of the words will be normal for you. Others may have kind of gone, "Well, I, I sort of know what's going on, but I didn't know the full mission statement." The mission statement of Hinsdale Covenant Church is this. To be a community that is flourishing together in Jesus Christ by growing, deepening roots, and bearing fruit in faith. That's our mission statement. The shorthand of that, which you probably heard over and over again, is flourishing together. Flourishing together. Easy to remember, hopefully, and something that we take with us. What's our goal? Our goal is to be flourishing together. How do we do that? We, we, we in our relationship with Christ, we grow We deepen roots in God's word and in fellowship together. And we bear the fruit of faith in our everyday life, not just here at church, but in our homes, in our workplaces, in everywhere that we go. Five years ago, we unveiled this. We introduced this to the church. And I'll tell you that five years later, I'm still fundamentally challenged by this mission statement. Uh, I still look at it and go, we've got so much work to do, which to me says it's a pretty good mission statement. If it was a mission statement where we were into it for about five weeks and we're like, all right, we accomplished it, we did it, perfect. Uh, we probably didn't aim quite high enough. I hope that in five years this mission statement is still challenging for us um, and still something that we go, we've got, we've got more work to do to live into this. But this has been sort of the, the, the guiding words for our culture and the way in which we've been living as a church. Some of you might remember five years ago, if you were here when we did that service in the gym, we did one combined service for what was called Rally Sunday, Vision Sunday. And we actually gave every family uh, a sapling of either a, a, a fir tree, um, some sort of pine tree, it was some sort of sapling that, that was about this big that we invited people to go and and, and go and plant at their homes. I'm wondering, this is a, a nerve wracking question, does anybody still have a sapling that's living from five years ago? The Brorsons, yes. I would have put money on the Brewer since that they would have found a way to make that live in their backyard there. Anybody else have one? Anybody have one that died? Yeah, me, yeah, Gene. okay, Courtney, okay. We had a couple last night uh, who said that they had theirs live as well. We don't have a real natural space in our backyard for, for something like that. I tried to find the best space I could, it lived for about three weeks, and then I walked out one morning and it was totally brown. And, uh, and I had to pull it out of the ground. And, and as I was pulling it out of the ground, I started to get a little nervous, a little sweaty, going, maybe this wasn't the best uh, image that we, you know, we could have given to people that uh, were trying to, to, to communicate this idea of flourishing together. And they walk out, and these things are dead in their yard. Maybe they start to go, this, this mission is, is doomed, right? Well, I, I have actually... Um, something that's hopeful for you even as we think about the saplings from five years ago a couple survived most of them did not but i have a, a hopeful story for you some of you may have pulled in this morning or in the last week or two and and seen a bush in our in the front caleb you can go to the next slide here um, of this hydrangea bush um, so we there there's some shrubs that were there that had caught some sort of disease or something and they had and they had died and John Griffin, member here Griffin Landscaping. I'm sure he would love to talk to you for all your landscaping needs. Uh, great guy. He uh, he said, you know, hey, I'll come pull those out. I've got some hydrangea bushes that from from somewhere else. We'll pop them in and those will be good there. And he said, "All you got to do, Lars, you got to make sure that thing gets watered. It needs a lot of water. This is not the normal time that you would plant a hydrangea bush, so you got to you got to keep that thing watered." And I think my colleagues here, if Carlos was here, I think he would back me up and say, I thought I did a pretty good job. I mean, I was out there quite a bit with the hose on those hot weeks with no rain. I was, there were a couple times where I, like, forgot about the hose, and I think it ran all night. But, but uh, you know, I watered that thing. I really, really watered that thing. One of them made it, and the other one didn't. And I've been, I've been so nervous uh, to see John because I, I didn't want to have to fess up to the fact that I killed this, this bush that he so graciously put in for us. And John was here on Wednesday night for our prayer and ice cream uh, sort of kickoff time, and he was here with his family, and I, I, had to walk up, I had to walk up to him, kind of tail between my legs, right, and say, John, I feel so embarrassed, but I, I totally killed that hydrangea bush. I, I should have pulled it out even before tonight. It looks so bad. I, I, I did put water on it. Maybe I didn't put enough. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really, you know, I'm sorry. And John said, what are you talking about? I said, the, right over here, this, this, that, that, this brown bush that is all crusty and gross and dead. He goes, oh, it's not dead. He goes, no, when I came over, I, I scratched the bark on that. There's tons of green underneath there. It'll bud underneath there. It's, it's totally fine. Just keep water on it. Don't give up. Keep water on it. And I felt pretty good about that, right? I didn't, kill the, I didn't kill the plant, actually. It was still alive. And it was this idea of, let's get back to caring for this bush, this thing that seemed dead to me. Actually, there's, there's, there's life underneath. And that really spoke to me in a sense because I don't know how any of you feel here. Maybe I know how some of you feel because we've had conversations, but I know in a lot of conversations that I've had, and even as I look at my own sort of spiritual growth trajectory in this time, this is not the prettiest season of my spiritual life. I don't know about you. Most of the st- statistics would tell us that people feel Right now in America, American Christians feel like their faith is kind of dry and crusty, that there's not a lot of beauty going on, that there's not a lot of budding new growth that's visible. feel kind of dry. It's kind of an ugly season for some of us. I know that there have been periods in the last six months where my spiritual life has felt sort of dead and dry, and I've had to work really hard to infuse life into it. But what I want to encourage you with today is that all hope is not lost I want you to just take some time this morning to scratch the bark a little bit scratch the stem of that thing that seems so dry that seems like it's ready to be tossed away I almost pulled out that bush a week ago I'm glad I didn't do that because there is there's there's growth underneath there is life even in the times that feel sort of dry and lifeless for us. I keep having this visual as I've been praying this week of of the times where I've been in places where there's been a fire. And I know that we're, we're praying for the fires that are going on out west. But when I've been in places where there's been a fire, one of the most amazing things is how quickly, right underneath all that char and all that scorched earth, what comes up? that neon green virgin growth underneath that never would have come up if the canopy was full, that wouldn't have come up without that natural process of fire. There is life. There is that neon green underneath the sort of brown crusty parts that we experience. But once we recognize that there's life underneath, once we can own the fact that there is life underneath, we need to be intentional. We need to be highly intentional. We need to scratch that bark and go, okay, there's life underneath. Now i got to get the hose on that. i got to get the hose on that plant because there's life. Simon talked about this a little bit last week when he talked about the habits that we've been so quick to assume for our health. Our life has changed. Seven months, eight months ago, how many of you even thought of the idea of socially or physically distancing from somebody else? How many of you have washed your hands more in the last six months than you probably washed your entire life cumulatively? I never wore a mask unless I was uh, going to visit someone in the hospital who was in quarantine, ever. I'm not used to that. But we adopted those practices because we needed to, because we needed to for where we are in life. Well, we can adopt new spiritual rhythms as well and practices through prayer through fellowship with one another, through being deep in God's word. So I want to I scratch back the, the bark a little bit this morning. That's kind of my goal on Vision Sunday. And I want to do it by asking two questions. And these two questions are up here on, on the slide for you. And that's this. How is God using this unique season to grow and mature your faith? How is God using this unique season to grow and mature your faith? What is God seeking to do in this season that he could not have done without a pandemic? How is God using the environment we're in to to grow and mature your faith? And then the second question, who's along with you for the journey? Who's along with you for the journey? And those of you who are observant might see what I've done here with these questions. Flourishing together. There's a flourishing question, and there's a together question. How are we flourishing, and who's with us for the journey? So we want to help you just scratch the bark, see that there's some life going on, and we want to cultivate and and celebrate that life and, and do everything we can to be intentional to bring that life forth by just pointing out three key areas that we're focusing on as pastors, as a staff. The areas of discipleship and fellowship and worship. Those are the areas that we are sort of focusing on, and we're asking you all, this morning, and those of you who are on live stream, you are a part of this as well, we're asking you to, to say, what's, what's your plan? What's your plan for discipleship? What's your plan for fellowship? And what's your plan for worship? So each of us are going to just talk a little bit about one of those elements. I'm going to invite Joy forward to talk a little bit about discipleship and how we can be intentional. First of all, what is discipleship and how can we be intentional about it?
1: In the conversation about discipleship, I want to start in the biblical text at the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verses 16 through the end. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm guessing that most of us have heard this passage before, read it before, heard it preached on often, right? This is a a key passage in the evangelical tradition. Sometimes we call it, you know what we call this passage sometimes? It might have a name in your Bible. The Great Commission, right? Now, I, I want to note that Jesus didn't say, this is the Great Commission, But it is his last commission in Matthew, which is full of commissions, and it's his final teaching in this gospel. And often we read and hear this passage preached within the context of evangelism, of telling people about Jesus, who he is and what he has done, and encouraging people to make a commitment to Christ. But sometimes the discussion of this passage ends there. Tell people about Jesus. But then what we're doing is we're missing Jesus' own emphasis on discipleship in this passage. Because discipleship, not simply belief, is Jesus' goal here. Remember, in the the previous story that goes before this, Jesus has already called these 11 men. He has trained them and taught them. And now he's giving them a command to do the same, to make more disciples. And so we note that discipleship isn't simply just professing faith in Jesus, seeing his miracles, and believing in our mind. Disciples live with and learn from Jesus. These guys had walked, physically walked with Jesus, and they knew him. They knew him intimately like a really good friend. They knew the rhythm of his voice the cadence of his words. They knew how he walked, what his footsteps sounded like. They knew the way that he'd word particular phrases and pronounce particular words. They knew the pattern of freckles on his arms, if he had freckles, we don't know. But they knew the shapes of his fingernails. They knew him, like you know a friend that you hang out with. And alongside Jesus' physical presence, They had heard Jesus tell stories, some of the same ones more than once, I'm guessing. And they remembered the stories. They'd seen Jesus heal, how he reached out and touched people so gently. And they had watched him gather the children on his lap and laugh. They'd seen him enjoy a meal and a glass of wine. And they had felt his hands on their feet as he washed their feet. They knew Jesus because they were his disciples. And so you see, being a disciple is different than simply believing in. There's a lot of people that I believe in. I know that they exist and they teach things, but I'm not their disciple. I don't follow them. But the New Testament emphasizes our identity as disciples. The word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament, but the term Christian only occurs three times. And Dallas Willard writes that the New Testament, and I'd add especially Matthew's Gospel, is a book about disciples, by disciples, for disciples of Jesus. Now maybe you haven't thought about this much recently, the idea that Christians are disciples of Jesus. So let's think about the word disciple a bit more. We can also use the word apprentice as a synonym for disciple. Let's think of apprentices together. Someone who works with someone else to learn a trade. Maybe a high schooler who's shadowing a kindergarten teacher. Or someone learning how to be an iron worker, or make shoes, right? These are apprentices. You help, not just watch, you help while actively learning from the master. Discipleship and apprenticeship are active roles. Imagine how silly it would be if an apprentice of a cobbler sat next to the cobbler and said, yes, it's so great that you exist, and I'm so thankful for you, and I believe in you, and you're just awesome at sewing that leather master cobbler. Good for you. That's not an apprentice. That's a cheerleader. And it seems a little bit ridiculous, you know? An apprentice is hands-on. And for us, as disciples of, apprentices of Jesus, our call to make and be disciples is hands-on, and it's a 24-7 commitment. Now, I'm not saying that as disciples of Jesus, every single minute and hour needs to be spent in active prayer, in active reading of scripture, watching worship services online. No, it goes far beyond that. Rather, our identity as disciples of Jesus is an identity that can transform every single aspect of our lives. So as you wake in the morning and reach for your phone or your cup of coffee, you begin that morning as a disciple of Jesus. And as you go to work, manage employees, care for patients, send emails, you do so as a disciple of Jesus. Our media habits, our parenting, our having parents, or siblings, or friends, or neighbors is all as a disciple of Jesus. When your neighbor puts up that annoying political sign, your response is a response of a disciple of Jesus. And our identities as disciples of Jesus is applicable for every single aspect of our life. Sometimes this can sound overwhelming, it can sound like a heavy burden. I don't want it to, because the truth is is that we are all disciples of someone or something. You're already disciples. We're all followers. The question is, is who or what are you following? Ideas disciple people. Political ideologies, views of success, views of family, all these things can disciple us and form us, and so I encourage you to choose to be a disciple of Jesus because you're all being discipled. People are discipled these days online all the time, and not by their faith communities or their own pastors. And this is something that lately I and your other pastors have deep concern about these days. So consider who or what is discipling you. One way to do this is consider how you spend your money and your time, that helps a lot. Who or what do you follow? But as your pastor, I want to encourage you to live into the responsibility and the privilege of being discipled by Jesus. Because it is a privilege. When Jesus gave that last commission that I read earlier, he does so within the context of our triune God, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so our identity as disciples of Jesus, of people who are baptized, we're baptized into this loving, triune relationship of a God who is love. Five seconds on uh, Trinitarian theology now. So when we understand and proclaim God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... We are doing so within the context of of God's identity as God who is love. And this is how this can be in our small mind way of understanding it. Because the father loves the son and the son loves the father. And the Father loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Son. And so this triune, three-person God relationship is overflowing for love, for God's love within God's self, and it pours out through Jesus to us and through the Holy Spirit to us right now. And it is this God who calls us to be disciples of Jesus, of love made flesh. And so this is why Master Jesus is the best person ever to apprentice under. Also in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And if you've ever had a boss, or a manager, or a teacher, or a parent who has yelled at you and torn you down, that is not the picture of our master Jesus. He is completely opposite from that. And I want to be his disciple, and I want you to want to be his disciple too. And so that's part of my work here at Covenant is to encourage and to urge you on as disciples of Christ to follow Jesus in every aspect of your life from the morning you wake up to the moment you go back to sleep. And so this fall here, we have some very practical ways to learn how to flourish as disciples of Jesus together. This fall, we have both in person and especially for those of you worshiping online, online options for discipleship groups to grow in our faith and learning in every aspect. This past Wednesday, I started leading an online uh, discipleship group in which we're exploring mental health. What does the Christian faith have to say about mental health? How can seeking Jesus and knowing who God is help us as we seek mental health and also interact with those around us who might be struggling? Pastor Simon is starting an in-person group this upcoming Wednesday. This group is great for parents who have junior hires or Club 56 students who want to do something productive while their kid is uh, in their own youth group. So it starts at 7 p.m. It's called True North, and it's on what it looks like for us to submit our anxieties and frustrations to God in the moment. This is really about discipleship of our own character and response. And in October, Pastor Lars will be leading an online option and an in-person option of a book, a book discussion that explores Christian faith and politics. Sometimes we don't want to talk about these things because we want to be peaceable, but this is actually an important part of our life as citizens of God's kingdom. And then Pastor Simon will be offering his course later online, and I'll be offering the mental health course in person later in November and December. So we have options for discipleship, and there are men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies that are being formed too. You can read about all of these at hinselcovenantcom discipleship. You can also sign up there. Courtney will be leading the senior hires and junior hires in exploring what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Because this, this is foundational to a student's life, just like going to high school, right? This is foundational for who they're going to become And in Sunday Kids Camp, we're going to continue exploring what it looks like to pray to the God who hears through the Psalms. So discipleship, discipleship is really important. And I encourage you to become active in one of these options alongside your own practices of prayer and Bible reading and worship to help us walk closer to the loving and the most gentle master ever, Jesus. Will you join us? Will you follow Jesus with me and with us? So I'd like to invite Pastor Simon to come up and explore what it means to be rooted together.
2: Good morning again, everybody. I'm here to talk about the fellowship of the church, which I feel is best experienced when we are rooted together, this idea of being in home-based Bible study has been something we've been doing here for a couple of years. It's a ministry that I oversee on behalf of the church. And it's interesting because I think sometimes we imagine that a home-based Bible study is a very studious thing. It's a high commitment thing. And I'm, I'm going to give you a different vision for that as you consider how the Lord may be leading you to experience fellowship this year. So I was reading uh, this book. This is really the history of the Evangelical Covenant Church, and it's quite thick. And it doesn't even cover like the last 60 years, but it's really great. And I was looking at it and found in the early, early sections of the book, way back in in 1723, let's go back to the year 1723, it was right about this season, it was in the fall. And there was this story of a group of people who had said were moved by the Spirit to form what was called a conventicle, which is a, a very strange word, but it basically meant a home-based fellowship group, a conventicle, and this was in supplement to their to their experience in the regular church. See, church had always been sort of institutionalized, and so what they were doing that seemed radical at the time was just saying, let's gather together in home, let's have a conventicle, and, and just read the word and encounter it and see how the Lord leads us. Um, there's some argument that Jesus was forming a conventicle with the disciples, right? It's a kind of a home-based uh, group together. But listen to this account of a conventicle in 1723. So it's a group of people moved by the Spirit to form a conventicle. It was led by this army officer, a Swedish army officer, uh, Per Cedarspar. And he gathered a group of friends, it says, and they traveled out of this parish near Stockholm. And it was right about August 24th or 25th in, in the year 1723. So they had attended some church services, and it was in the evening of August 24th that the party, it says, and I love that they call it a party, right? It was a party, and then they found lodgings together in a farmhouse uh, near a village, and from right about the time of supper until maybe one in the morning, Cedar's Bar and his friends, it says, they sang hymns together, uh, they discussed the sermons they had heard that day, and um, then they were led in prayer by one of their uh, members of their group. Well, this time of devotional continued so long that they ended up bringing in straw and all slept on the floor together. And it, it notes that they were carefully observing the decorum by, they, they lied fully clothed, it says. They separated the unmarried men from the unmarried women and had the married people sleep in between them to form a barrier that's sweet. Um, and then the following day, they attended another service. And it even tells you what they had for breakfast. They had a, 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 some kind of a Swedish uh, yogurt, I can't pronounce it, filled Bunky. Um, pancakes, bread, butter. um, And it just says that they just had such a great time together. You know, again, worshiping together, studying the word together, praying together, eating together, and it was fellowship. Now, you might think that sounds beautiful, and I'm not Swedish, but that sounds awesome to me. Like, that just sounds like a really great experience, doesn't it? but the, the thing here is, like, we don't live in 1723 anymore. Our lives can be a little more complex, a little less, you know, maybe free as, as the, than they enjoyed. But the spirit of that is what we're trying to capture in these rooted groups. The idea that we gather together in homes, uh, and it can be in home. Certainly, we want to, you know, recognize they were not in the middle of a pandemic, could be outside, um, it, it could be online. But the point is, the heart and the spirit draws them together to spend time in worship together, to read the word and just go, what do you see here? How can we live this out together? And to pray for one another. That's really what we're trying to capture with the idea of these rooted rooted groups. And so I want to invite you to really supplement your commitment to attending worship and being in discipleship with opening space for fellowship, just inviting the friends that you love to see at church together to carve out a special time just to say, let's get together and discuss and pray together what the Lord is leading for us. Now, you might come up with three instant objections. Number one, you know, the typical one I hear is, well, I don't know if I can do that. And I really don't know a lot about the Bible. And so if I get in a group like that, you know, I might be embarrassed because I don't, you know, people will discover I don't know anything. It really is not. It's not an intellectual biblical flex time. It really is, again, just opening God's word and just saying, you know, what do you see in this? I have a group of men that I've been meeting with for a while, and that's what we do. We we read a passage of scripture. I try to check my Education at the door, real quickly, and I say, what, "What do you guys see here? What do you see?" And they keep sometimes looking at me like, "Well, what do you tell us what it is?" I'm like, "No, just just you, what do you see here? What, what do we see?" And then how can we live this out? What can we do with this text? And it's just a great time. Another uh, objection that I typically hear is, "I don't know if I have time for that. Like, it's not 1723. I don't live in a farmhouse in Sweden. Um, I'm a little busier than that. I don't know if I have time uh, to gather with with people." And I would say this to you, that it really isn't trying to add something to your schedule. I'm not trying to add something new to stress you out even more. What this is, actually, it's very giving. Like, when you take that hour, even an hour and 15, and just commit yourself to spending time being rooted together in fellowship, it will feed the rest of your week. It really will. It's just a special time of, again, just experiencing the love of God together and wrestling with what God is calling you to do. Uh, another one I hear sometimes is, I don't know if I can commit to that. Like, maybe it's every other week, or I don't know what my year's going to look like. And, and that's okay, too. You know, again, we're talking about friends led by the Spirit. Uh, they weren't on a calendar or a clock either. And so I would say in this fall season, for those of you who are online or obviously here today, just pray right now about your commitment to fellowship and supplementing your worship and discipleship with just gathering with some other people, some other friends, and growing in that friendship Spending time in God's word and praying for one another. Now, Lars is going to talk to us a little bit more about our commitment to worship this season. Lars. So
0: discipleship and fellowship and worship. Here's the good news. You're already doing worship. You showed up today. You, sh- you logged on to the live stream. Way to go. Um, and I hope that this is part of your plan for worship in the year Ahead. Hebrews 10 gives a command. It says, Don't neglect the opportunity to meet together. And what we've done here, as you already know, is we've tried to accommodate the, the shifting realities that we face by having three different services, in person services over the weekend, two on Sunday mornings here, 9 and 10 30, and then we also have our outdoor service on Saturdays at 5 o'clock. Had one last night. It rained almost all the way up till 5 o'clock, and then it rained like the minute we finished. So God was taking care of us yesterday. Um, And then we have our two live stream services at 9 and 10.30 that if you, for whatever reason, can't get there early enough to log on to those, you could watch later on in the day or in the week. We want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to gather together as we can. Because this, what we're doing here, is unique. This is not replicable in other areas of my life. I can listen to a great podcast, but it's not the same as hearing a sermon from someone who knows me, who knows where I live, who knows what I do, who knows this context in this community. I can listen to great worship music or, or hymns over in, in, in my home or in my ears and with my, with my headphones, but it's not the same as being here and, and feeling the organ, right? Feeling it and, and singing, even with a mask. That's not something I can replicate in other parts of my life. We can connect over Zoom or see maybe one or two of one another around town. It's not the same as being in the same space. So this is, this is a unique gathering each and every week. And even those of you who are on live stream, we wanna say you're part of this gathering and we're so glad that you've made this commitment. So we want you to come up with a plan to be here, to be here every weekend. Show up in one way or another. Don't neglect the opportunity to gather together. And what we're going to do is, is work this fall on a couple of different themes that I think are going to help us in our unity together. And they're going to help us continue to catch the vision that God has for us. Starting next Sunday, we'll begin a six-week series called The Blazing Center. The Blazing Center. This actually comes from the denomination from the Covenant Church. They have asked each and every Covenant Church to spend some time this year in a sermon series around the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, so that as a denomination, we're focused on the centrality of, of, of that conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit in our lives, the blazing center. What, what, do we, what happens when we start to view the Holy Spirit as the blazing center of our lives from the moment we wake up till we go to bed? So Pastor Simon will be kicking us off next week and we'll be studying through the book of Acts. Next week, we'll also have available to you... A, devotional book where you can read through the book of Acts in 28 days, 28 chapters, 28 days, uh, so that we can read and start to track the ministry of the Holy Spirit through that book together. Then after the Blazing Center, I'll be doing a sermon series in uh, November uh, called We Want a King. This will be focused on the uh, realities of this election season that we're in and the political divide that we face where it seems like it's so difficult to have civil conversations where we feel so divided. Well, we're actually going to look at some, some history of that in scripture, of the united and the divided kingdom of Israel um, and the people's desire for a king, an important series that we hope that you will look forward to and invest in when it's time. So these are some of the things that you can look forward to as we worship together. And we will continue to try and create this unique gathering uh, that can't be replicated elsewhere. So put these things together. Discipleship, fellowship, worship. What do you have? You have faithful and consistent care. This is like going out to the bush that seems dry and dead and continuing to water it. Scratching the bark and going, yes, there is life underneath here. So let's continue the maintenance and the care of these things, of our spiritual lives. How are you being discipled? Who's along with you for the journey? And how are you worshiping? Those questions of how does God want to grow your faith and who's with you for the journey? Our text, to close. This is the text, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, that we actually used uh, on that five years ago. When we, when we rolled out this mission statement, it says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This is Paul, by the way, to the church in Ephesus. His prayer. From whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. And that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. We want to echo that prayer as well. That this might be a time of strengthening through the Spirit. We're going to begin to talk about the Spirit next week. That Christ might dwell in your hearts. When I think about Christ dwelling in my heart, I don't want you to Think about, you know, some little mini figurine that's floating around there. What we're saying is that Christ is near to us and present. We pray that you might have a sense of his nearness in your life. And that you might be rooted and established in discipleship and fellowship and in worship. And then, the end of this prayer. All these things together, why do we do this? So that you might know that God loves you so much. That God loves you so much. He loves you so much that even in the dry and and difficult times in our life, what is he preparing? New growth, new life. This is the God that we serve through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to invite my friends forward and each of us are going to just pray for these elements that we've talked about today as a prayer of consecration over you. Would you pray with us? Lord, I do pray for our worship our gatherings here on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, that they might be unique, that they might be holy ground for each and every one of us to be saturated in your word, to gather together in musical worship, to be challenged and and sharpened through fellowship. Lord, we know that there are so many impediments to to true uh, gathering for worship right now, but Lord, we know that you're bigger than those barriers. So we ask that you would break down whatever disconnect that we have and gather us together as you will, even if it's through a, through a connection, through a screen, would you gather us together as your church and strengthen us, Lord, so that we might catch a vision of what you have for us in this year.
1: Jesus, by the presence and power of your spirit, would you empower us to be disciples who make disciples? Would you bless the work of our hands this fall through these groups that, for ones that have already been established, long-term women and men's Bible studies, mom's group, and then new short-term studies that Pastor Lars and Pastor Simon and I are leading. We pray for Courtney's leadership in the lives of the students as disciples of you in their own schools and homes, for Sarah, as she leads Club 56, for these in, this in-between age of kids to learn what it is like for them, even in their ages, to follow you, Jesus, and also for the children in Sunday Kids Camp, that they would be drawn into relationship with you so that all of us can know you, Jesus, that we can learn from you and follow you in an active way. And I, I pray that Your spirit will move in our congregation, those who are here today and those who are online, and prompt them to sign up for groups to learn together. People are always disciples of you together in a group, just like those 11 were on that mountain so long ago. So would you form groups here, Jesus, by your spirit and bless us.
2: Well, it is by one spirit that you have led us, Lord, from the very beginning of time till now. And it's that spirit that's always been calling us to gather together in fellowship, which is the Christian way of saying friendship, to be honest with each other, to sit together, to eat together, to, to look at your word, consider its relevance in our lives, to pray for one another and celebrate where you have blessed us, and to intercede where we have, we have needs and questions. Lord, that's, that's what we need to continue to develop that fuel of the fire within us. And so, Lord, would you call many friends now, uh, in the same way that you called that gathering back in 1723, to enjoy that experience together. And, Lord, this is a work that I cannot do. I cannot make groups happen. It really is about people coming forward and saying, I really want to be enhanced in my worship and my walk with with, uh, uh, being rooted together. So, Lord, will you do that work? And we thank you again for the way that you're always at work in our hearts. We receive you not with, with any sense of condemnation or guilt, but really encouragement and love. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us that way. In your name we pray, amen.